0: This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Lindsay Phillips. And Christine O'Leary. Hi, this is Kevin Vandal. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Azrello.
1: Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van <laughs> Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. <laughs> this is Paul Dini. And this is Robert Greenberger. And this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Wilf Percaccio. This is Adam Beachin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 127.
0: I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... You can call me Joe Chill, because I'm freezing.
2: You can call me the person who replaced Donovan, since he betrayed us. Uh, Stella!
1: And we are bringing the latest (laughs) comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of November 3rd through November 16th. We have a total of five books to cover, and we do have a good chunk of news to cover as well. Um, so, without further ado, let's get straight into comic news.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen.
2: We are tonight's entertainment.
1: The very first thing we have to report is on November 5th, the DC Comics All Access, which if you haven't noticed, is a new thing that DC's been doing where every Tuesday they release an episode on YouTube on their YouTube channel, where they basically have these two, um, hosts go around and interview different creators, along with interviewing different bigwigs at DC, editors, um, various different things. They, they hint at all kinds of different aspects of DC, including the TV shows, the cartoons, the, the movies. So the episode that aired that specific week, um, the, the person who, the, the female host of the show, she was interviewing Dan Dio, And Dan deal he, she, he was kind of like showing off his desk. And it was very cluttered. And, uh, she says, she asked if there was any, any inclinations of what could be coming up in the future. Uh, so he mentioned that if you look at this bulletin board that he had over his desk, those were, that was hints at, all the different things that are coming up in DC. Um so there was a brief camera shot of it, very brief, and as it turns out, someone amongst the internet, uh, you know, paused their 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 uh video at the exact moment and happened to notice that their the new event for next year's September uh is going to be called 5 years later month.
2: Uh-oh.
1: And basically, there is an image with a bunch of different versions of the new 52, and then it has the number five, the word five, uh, five tally marks, and then the words five years later. Um, so they're testing out a bunch of different, uh, I guess banners for what this event will become. So, I guess the question is, is this something that we really need to see so soon, five years later, since we just had Zero Month uh, a year ago, where it took us to the beginning of the supposed New 52, and the New 52 hasn't even been around for five years, so do we really need to see an event take five years, you know, take us five years into the future?
0: no.
2: <laughs> uh I certainly agree with that. I think that's like the perfect succinct answer there is no. I think it's been three years now, is that uh correct estimate yeah. of how okay. And I feel like we're still building this universe and to take us further or farther into the future, uh, is sort of gonna mess with us a little bit. I think this may be a way to to wet our appetites and see what could come around so maybe there'll be more characters and then it'll be like maybe like Wally West will pop up for example and so everyone who's a fan of Wally West is going to be really excited but you know they've got to wait for that you know amount of time. But who knows how long five years is in comic land? Because that could be like ten world, ten years of actual sales. But uh, I'm worried that it's just number one. We I feel like we just had this event here, and number two, this isn't necessarily anything that I'm I'm interested in. So I'm just worried it's going to mess us all up now.
0: Okay. I'm sure
1: I'm sure it is going to mess us
2: all up.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you brought up an interesting point in kind of where is this going to take place? Because if we're going by New Fifty Two continuity, Justice League have been around for about five years. So is this thing going to be like five years in the future from kind of present comics? So they've been around ten years, and like, yeah, what does that mean? I'm sure that even though they they've, they're like planning out the logo nicely, but I'm sure they haven't planned out continuity. So there's going to be lots of You know, lots of errors and things like, well, this can't happen if this happens. And how does this happen if this is the case? And there's going to be a lot of that in uh, in September, I fear. Uh,
1: Now, obviously, this is going to be something that's probably not going to be actually officially announced until May of next year. And I don't even know that DC intended on this being revealed here. Um, Now, given that DC obviously is behind the finished version of the episode of DC all access, I would assume that they would have seen it, but this is also one of the few things that have actually been revealed in that, uh, in that show that they have every Tuesday, um, outside of just cover art or things like that. So I should say related to the Batman universe, at least. So to, to have this, you know, okay, fine. You want to, you want to jump five years into the future? Fine. Um, realistically, I don't really see what the point of that is because if you look at it from the perspective of, you know, we've had events in the past where we've had one year later that was in the comics, not even that long ago, um, in the Batman comics where a bunch of, you know, Batman, he leaves Gotham for a year and the the stories are taking place with how Gotham deals with Batman not being around for a year. And, you know, the... The interesting thing about five years later across all the DC books is it just there's a lot of characters that are, you know, that have gained a lot of footing in the new 52. That really, what do we really need to see five years into the future for other than just to have everyone sit there and be like, oh, this is what you can expect five years in continuity time? Which who knows how long that'll actually have to take place, as a said, it could take 10 years and, and the actual comic sales world so I mean to me it just feels like it's almost like DC is trying to foreshadow what will happen in the future which will only back themselves into a corner and certain story uh, with certain story elements so I don't really understand the necessity for it I think they could have come up with something maybe a little bit better but you know with these events I don't know how much more they really need to do zero month to me was a giant waste of time where we learned really a whole lot of nothing. And yeah, I'll leave it at that.
0: Do you think we're going to see any Robin in that issue?
1: I don't want to even think about that.
2: <laughs> well, it would be like a very different. Do you think? Are you saying like Robin, like Damian Wayne, like he'll be back?
1: No, I think he's referring to Harper Rowe.
2: Oh well, we don't even know what's going to be happening with Stephanie Brown at this point, though.
1: It's going to be spoiler.
2: Ah uh, yes, but five years in the future, what do you think she's going to be? She'll be dead. <laughs> what? You are a terrible person.
1: <laughs> All right. So next up on November sixth, the new creative team for Detective Comics talked with NewsRama about their work and what they're planning on doing with detective comics. The, the, the big thing that came out of this interview was them talking about how they were going to do a lot more detective stories, which seems to be the case when a lot of these writers take over detective comics. They always say, Oh, well, we really want to get to the heart of the book and we really want to do detective stories and ground based stories and, you know, based on reality. And that's what they all end up saying. And then somehow their stories mutate into a little bit more of the supernatural or the the villains that aren't necessarily falling into that same line of you know detective based uh, specific ground based reality stories. So uh, not a whole lot came out of this interview. I just thought it was kind of interesting that for whatever reason everyone always comes into Detective Comics saying the exact same thing.
0: Yeah, uh, I think we said this before, but I, I really hope that uh, this creative team does actually tackle the detective. Uh, aspects, because I think that's something that's missing at the moment, and it's definitely something I'd like to see. So, fingers crossed for that.
2: Uh, I'm actually just looking forward to see their take on the art, because frankly, I, I loved how uh, how they were doing it in um, in Flash and everything. And so, I think that just their storytelling with the art itself was amazing in that book so I'm looking forward to see what that is like but you know people do say about the detectives but I think they're from that interview I really got a sense that they were super excited about taking on Batman and yes we've heard this before but it's coming from a group that I feel like have never really touched Batman before and so I think that we can take stock in what they're saying a little more than someone who has been dealing with Batman uh, before in the past or for a while so I think they may come in feeling like they've got a lot to prove. And so they're really going to pull out all the stops and make it an enjoyable ride. Uh, And, and I do trust this creative team. So hopefully they, they won't make me eat my words, but I think it could be uh, a good, good step. And I
1: I don't know why I didn't say it earlier, but the creative team we're referring to is Francis Manipole and Brian Buccioletto. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, despite the fact that I didn't say it, Stella didn't say it either the entire time she was referring to them. So, (laughs) <laughs> that's that's that's, who, we're, oh that's who we are talking about yeah. um i i do you know i will say despite the fact that i didn't get a whole lot of out of this interview other than you know dc just doing their their generic hype up the new creative team that's not going to actually pop onto the book for another three months um the the thing that i got out of you know the thing that i'm i am in i am looking forward to manipul and bucheleto taking on the book um, I have read some of their work on Flash and I have enjoyed it. So it, it, it's nothing about that. It's just as far as the interview goes, I wasn't super keen on the generic questions that seem to pop up in a lot of these interviews nowadays. But I am looking forward to it. And I think a lot of what they've done in Flash outside of using, you know, Flash villains can be easily carried into Batman books very easily. All right, uh, next bit of news. On November 15th, uh, it was revealed that the first Black Robin will be appearing in Detective Comics number 27. Uh, Scott Snyder tweeted that he and Sean uh, Murphy we will be writing a sci-fi Batman story. Now, we talked about this before, and I believe on the last episode, we talked about that most likely this story was going to pop into Detective Comics number 27, and in fact, it is going to be in Detective Comics number 27. But as it turns out, the uh, Robin that Batman will be paired with in this specific story that Snyder and Murphy are working on is going to be African American. So this is actually going to be not only the first time that the character has been African American, but it's, it's also the first time that the, the that Batman is going to be, uh, ha- well, I should say an African American has had such a high rank in the Bat, Bat world of Allies. Now, if you look at Lucius Fox and the character and uh, David Zimbi, who have played Batwing, I wouldn't say that Batwing is nearly as a high of a rank as Robin is and there's other characters in the past that have, that have been, that have been black as well. Orpheus comes to mind, um, which a lot of people probably don't even know who that is. He's not, it's not that long ago. It's within the last 10 years, Orpheus rising rising was a mini series. He also played a role in, uh, war games. But outside of that, uh, this is, this will be interesting. Obviously there's no word on who the character is or if it'll even be revealed, but it's, it's not, Within continuity, it's completely out of continuity, but it'll be cool to see a different take on a character that has been prominently white since its introduction.
2: Yeah, you know, I I honestly have no issue with this. I feel like several years ago, we could definitely... um <laughs> I'm just thinking about when they decided to make the ultimate uh, Spider-Man African-American mixed with Hispanic or whatever. I still haven't read it. But, uh, you know, he went on and on about all of this. But in the end, I mean, it's just skin color. It doesn't really matter. It's more about, like, who this character is and are we going to care about it. And since it is sci-fi, it may be the only time that we ever see him, unless he pops up in the five-year-later issue. So... I guess we'll see. You know, I just had a really scary thought about the five-year-later thing. What if they, like, that's the event, but we move all in that time period? Like, what if we just leave where we are and we skip ahead five years later, just like they did after Infinite Crisis? But uh, since we're beyond that discussion point, I guess we can not talk about that. But anyways, yes, I don't care. I think, you know, depends on how the character is. I, I don't want to think like that
1: because that means then we've just spent <laughs> four years... Investing into uh, basically a setup for them to jump ahead, and you know that's not to say that you know the, with the crises, obviously things changed, but I don't know. I don't want to get too into this, but it just seems like it would be a cop out. It would be like, well, we decided to start from scratch, but then after four years, we said, eh, we've we we, st- we built a, a decent foundation. Let's jettison to the future.
2: <laughs> Jettison—that was a nice word.
1: Alright, the last bit of news we have comes on November 16th, uh, completely unrelated to any of the series. Uh, Bleeding Cool reported that uh, there was a small interview done with Terra Zero, uh, who interviewed Eduardo Riso, who you may know as an artist. He's done a number of different, uh, he's worked on a number of different Batman related projects specifically Broken City is the one that comes to mind when uh, I think of it. Uh, he's worked with Brian Azzarello in the past. Uh, he specifically talked about the fact that he's working with Paul Dini on a new Vertigo series mm-hmm. and that the new Vertigo series is supposedly going to be starring a character from the Batman universe. It is kind of that, and that's pretty much it. That That's all there is. Um, but I have to wonder a couple of things. One, back when the New 52 started, the whole idea was to combine some of the, you know, the major characters from the Vertigo universe, the major characters from the Wildstorm universe, and the major characters from the DC universe, and mix them all together and have one giant universe. And then Vertigo, everything that Vertigo has been publishing since has been completely unrelated to the stuff that's been with, you know, that DC's been publishing. Um, they have, You know, they have a number of different series and stuff that they release on a normal basis. So I have to wonder what Vertigo series Paul Dini could be working on. If I Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I honestly don't remember Paul Dini ever working on a Vertigo series in the first place. So for him to work on a Vertigo series, number one, is kind of interesting because Vertigo, uh, the Vertigo label generally means a more mature themed book. Regardless of what it is, it could be sex, it could be violence, it could be horror. There's a ton of different stuff that happens in the Vertigo books. But generally, that's where the stuff is. It's also, when you, when it gets to the heart of it, it's a lot more independent type comics, where it's very creator owned. The creators are telling, you know, they're, they're, they're dictating everything that's happening. Their editors aren't holding them back. Which is great. And, you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff from Vertigo that has been released. But, What's kind of weird is Paul Dini, who has mostly done work under DC, uh he's he's done some work at other companies as well, but mostly work that's not creator-owned projects, number one. But then to do a creator-owned project and then to do a project that has a character that's from the DC universe seems a little odd to me. So I have to wonder if maybe there was something lost in translation with the interview or what, because it seems a little odd that Vertigo would publish a, a mini series or a graphic novel that would involve a Batman character, but not play into the DC universe, especially since DC has no problem releasing mini series and graphic novels that are completely unrelated to continuity. Now that enough time has passed in the new 52.
0: Uh, I don't know, but I am looking forward to it. Um, Depending on what it is, I'll, I'll probably check this out. Um, I like Paul Dini, and uh, Eduardo Riso is a bit kind of hit and miss for me, but for the most part, I like his art. And uh, I've been reading The Wake um, from Vertigo as well as Trillium, and uh, I think The Wake is actually the best Scott Snyder I've read since uh, his Detective one. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to check this out when it comes out.
1: All right, so that is all of the comic news we actually have for this episode. So we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And the very first book we have is Batman number 25.
0: Batman number 25, written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo. The issue opens in Nigeria, where a troop of U.S. soldiers are driving through a desert when they come across a wooden hatch buried in the sand. As they open the door, we cut to the title page, where we see a flash of a burning dock outside the city, before we cut to the action. Commissioner Loeb is in a GCPD Zeppelin, trying to keep track of Batman, who is driving from a crime scene. The police believe they have him trapped in the tunnel, but with a quick gear change and some insane technology, Batman manages to leap over the blockade and escape. We then cut to the crime scene, where Gordon and Bullock are investigating a bizarre murder where a scientist of Wayne Industries was injected with a serum that causes bones to grow rapidly and rip the man from inside out. We also learn that the same thing happened to another Wayne Industries scientist a few days earlier, as the two discuss their feelings on Batman. Whilst both, both are mistrustful, Gorn is lenient as he believes that Batman is doing good, and in any case, there are much more pressing matters. We then get a cameo from Pamela Isley, who describes the suspect, the suspected murder, as skeletal. We cut to the Batcave where Bruce is investigating the serum that mutated the two scientists and realises that Wayne Industries holds the patent. It was was developed by Dr. Carl Hellfern who is Batman's next target. Bruce's research also turns up mention of a doctor death the name given to an uncaptured criminal behind similarly mutated animal skeletons. As well as all this we see a signal jammer that Bruce is building to neutralise Riddler's next attack. Bruce climbs out of the back cave and finds Gordon waiting for him at the, at the top. Bruce acts coldly towards Gordon, which arouses suspicion, but when he goes to, the, but when he goes to look in the cave entrance, he's met by a wall of bats. There was also mention of a cover-up regarding Bruce's parents' deaths, which might explain his attitudes towards him. We then cut to, Goth- to Gotham University, where Bruce is visiting Lucius Fox to ask him about Hellfern, a former colleague of Fox's. However, as Lucius explains a little about Hellfern and the serum, he claims the work was as much his own as Hellfern's and stabs Bruce in the neck with a syringe full of the serum as Dr. Bun, Death
1: bun, bun.
0: <laughs> as Doctor Death stands over his shoulder. The issue, bent, the issue ends back in the desert where all of the vehicles are on fire and everyone appears dead. We then have a backup with a young Harper Rowe who is caring for her brother in the blackout after their abusive father leaves for the night we see the start of Harper's knowledge of electricity where she hooks up a bedside lamp to run by battery. The first thing I'd like to talk about is this is kind of within the zero-year story. It's a kind of new arc. Um, so it's, it was more of a setup within this. Do, do you think that it's kind of carried on as the pace, or did it slow down for you? or how, What did you think of the issue? Did you enjoy it?
1: Well... <clears throat> I didn't really feel like... Uh, at one at one point, I thought the issue seemed a little longer, but I think that was mostly because there was a lot of dialogue in it.
0: It was um, a little longer.
1: F- by how many pages? Because, I, I mean, know. I know that there was the backup, and once I saw that there was backup, I figured that's why it was, it was longer.
0: It, the solicitations say 40 pages instead of 32, which is why it was an extra dollar.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I guess that makes a little bit more sense then. Um. I, you know, well, at that point, then I guess, you know, it did seem it did seem longer, but I thought it was because of the dialogue. Um, but as you just pointed out, it, it legitimately was because it was longer. I don't really understand the necessity to keep these longer. We just had last month's issue also be extended, and it didn't even have a backup. So I don't really know if this is just DC's way of saying, hey, Scott Snyder, if you wanna write longer stories, we can charge more money for it. And, you know, you know, he has no problem writing a longer story. So if that's just the case of what's happening, then I guess that's what's happening. But, you know, do I have a problem with it? Mm, no, not really. I mean, like, the, it didn't seem like it was drawn out. Um, you know, there's certain things that, you know, probably could have been trimmed here and there, but it wasn't like major things where they lasted longer than they should have. Not not as other books I've seen do these kind of things where there's an entire issue where it seems like it should not be there it just felt like the writer you know basically texted in their script in five seconds because they were on a deadline oh my gosh so um that being said you know it's all right
0: uh i kind of wanted to talk about the backup because this kind of goes back to the theory that he can't write six issues without mentioning Harper Row at least once. So we get her in the backup, which I, you know, I thought we were going to be able to avoid for quite a while, but for the first time I actually didn't mind her characterization. And I thought that as far as origins go, this was a dec- a good one for her interest in electricity and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, with with Harper Rowe, you know, she's a character that I think a lot of people just despise because, it's been force fed to us. The fact that it's been fed to us by people other than Scott Snyder is probably the main reason why I don't like it. You know, it's, if it's, you know, it's one thing if it's Scott Snyder's character that he just wants to be his character. But the fact that we've seen the character pop up in other, in other titles, that's the thing that bugs me about it with this, you know, I don't really see a problem with it. You know, it shows that she's, she's, you know, she's completely technologi- uh, tech savvy and she's, you know, she can do things. Um, you know, she's definitely filling a void uh, that Oracle left being the tech savvy person that she was since the new 52 started and we no longer have Oracle. Um, that's not to say that she's a replacement for Oracle, but she's filling that gap that we don't really we don't really see anybody really being the tech person. Any in any aspect. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting to take five years, you know, go go five years back to zero year. And, you know, this is basically her situation. I'm glad that it happened in this short story. I'm glad that the short story wasn't just about her. It was also setting up some of the events that were also happening in Gotham at the same time. So to me, you know, I think it's fine. I think, you know, we get a little bit hurt of her backstory without getting it, you know, too shoved down our throats. So, you know, it was, it was all right.
2: Uh, yeah, I agree. And I'm, I, I don't know if I'm like the only one who has the least amount of problems with, uh, her. Uh, but, you know, in general, I like the character and I like her loving nature of her brother. And I enjoyed seeing them as younger children. She seemed less, um, I mean, you've, you've definitely got that edge with her here, but, but she's less of this sort of cynical person and one that's really on edge that you see her now. Just, I think, you, in this backup, you start to see what made her that way. Just, you know, this father that's basically an absentee dad not doing anything. Who knows what happened to their mother? But you also get this love of her brother. So you see that it was really early on in just being the older sibling. So I, I enjoyed it, and you also are slipping in her tech savviness and the fact that she was reading, oh, I read this book on electricity, and then she was able to whip something up. So I think if it was longer and really slipped in like all of the other stories that were going on within the book, then it would have been a little troublesome because there was already a lot going on. But in this case, I thought that it was fine.
0: And the other thing, it's more something to mention because – we haven't really got much to go on, it's just this kind of, a couple of strange things going on, like Lucius uh, Fox's apparent turn, which I guess won't make sense with uh, things like Batwing and, you know, we've already seen him in the New 52 um, so I'm I'm sure that's going to be some cost And then uh, this kind of, this mention from Gordon about, you know, it wasn't my fault that night your parents died and there's some kind mm-hmm. of cover up there that's something that's interesting. So, um, I'm looking forward to seeing those storylines play out throughout the rest of this year. Um, so there, there are things I'm interested in, but there's not much to go on yet other than speculation.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, when I, when I, I first read the issue, um, the Lucius Fox thing was probably the biggest surprise to me, but I don't think it is what we, we think it is. I think it's basically, you know, Lucius is probably under somebody's con- under uh, Doctor Death's control in some way, and that's probably what he's done. Why he's done it, if not, <clears throat> and somehow he comes back from this, and he becomes, you know, it's funny because as I was reading him, they were ba- it's it seemed as if they were basically setting him up exactly the same way he was set up when Bruce meets him for the first time in Batman Begins, where he's like, yeah, this is where I work now, because uh, you're you're your uncle fired me because in Batman begins, it was, it was somebody else who demoted him and basically shoved him down into the basement to do nothing because they didn't want him basically being the person that he was putting up a fight about certain things that the Wayne's would not appreciate. So, I mean, it was kind of interesting to see that, but then when once the turn happened, it was like, wait, wh- where did that come from? But I, I just get this honest feeling that that's, it's, it's probably something it's probably not as, um, uh, as as seen as we are seeing it Um, it's probably something a little bit more uh less obvious um than what we're being shown the and then the 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 gordon thing is kind of interesting and i'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that because uh we'll we'll see this in in uh some of the other books we see in this zero year uh the crossover thing that's happening amongst all the books. That Gordon is, you know, he's kind of taking a liking to Batman and not necessarily like, oh, I want to partner up with him. But he gets to the point where in a lot of these stories, we see Gordon saying that he thinks that maybe Batman is doing good for the city, unlike the corrupt cops. So it'll be interesting to see why if Bruce Wayne has problems with Gordon because of something that possibly happened with the, the murder of his parents, why he has no problems working with him as Batman.
2: I, you know, I feel like Dr. Death doesn't really have like a, a huge power set that, that we should be concerned that he's somehow controlling um, Lucius. I know Dr. Death had some sort of like gas gimmicks, uh, but I feel like those were more meant to kill people. I mean, correct, correct me if I am incorrect, obviously, but I feel like if, if we he were to go in any other direction with uh, stuff that he's chemicals that he's using, whatever he's doing, then, uh, we're getting close to sort of scarecrow for me, anyways. I mean, we already see what he's doing with these characters and their bones getting out of control, but, um, I don't know. I feel like we're, we're dancing on deadly territory if we're, uh, really revitalizing this character and making him wholly new. Uh, I think it'd be, I guess, have we seen Lucius Fox? It's been so long since we've seen him. Have we seen him like modern day without going like this? Not zero year, but we have, oh, haven't yeah.
1: we? Oh yeah, we've seen him since. We've seen him. The, okay. The thing is, there was there was a point that I saw that I remembered, and I can't honestly remember when this was. I want to say it it happened at some other point beyond, you know, way before zero year, but it was still happened. Scott Snyder wrote it, where Bruce goes to Lucius, and Lucius is creating. No, no. Nah, okay. I think I it was it was in Batman Earth 1 where Lucius was creating prosthetics and Bruce goes to him for help because he is a tech savvy person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's where I was getting confused. I was for some reason I was thinking it was like in a backup, you know, as a prelude to zero year or something. And I was thinking, "Huh, that doesn't make any sense." But now now that I've connected that to it was it was uh, Earth 1 that makes more sense. But, uh, he has been in the, in the, in the stories. Um, it, you know, as far as Dr. Death goes, Dr. Death, he's not a huge character. He doesn't have a huge power set. They could completely revitalize the character and it really wouldn't do anything to damage the character because, I mean, other than just throwing back Dr. Death, who was a character who was originally created when, you know, right around the time Batman was created, I think it was like two months later from Batman's original appearance in detective comics, the mm-hmm. doctor death appeared. So I think that, you know, using Dr. Death is really just, Hey, let's throw back and, you know, let's use this character that, you know, no, then it's not to say the character hasn't appeared. He recently appeared, I believe in Tony Daniels run of Batman right before the new 52. It's not that the character hasn't appeared. Um, you know, if they want to re completely redo him, this is one of those characters where I could care less if they redo him because there's not a lot there that really, you know, they can mess with. There's not this extensive publication history of the character that they're going to really jack up if they, if they, you know, try to change up the character to make it whoever they are. Um, so as far as that goes, I don't really care about that. But yes, in the past, he has really just used gas. He's walked around with a gas mask. He's like a guy in a fedora wearing a gas mask and a trench coat. And that's what he does. He sprays gas on people to kill them. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, this is, this is a different incarnation, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I'm not as opposed to it. Um, because I think that, you know, if they want to just, there, it really just seems like they're trying to throw in these, a lot of these different elements from Batman's early days in publication history to really, you know, Get people who are newer to comics, you know, maybe more interested in some of these characters. So, you know, instead of, you know, redoing, you know, Two Face or redoing, uh, you know, not, I don't, not somebody as big as the Joker, but, you know, redoing Scarecrow, you know, some of the characters we've been seeing redone, you know, uh, in Batman the Dark Knight and stuff like that. Instead of seeing characters like that redone, you know, take a character that's, you know, maybe on the C list, D list of characters and decide to, you know, redo something, make them more fresh for this, this time and age. Hey, I'm okay with that. You know, I don't think there's, I don't have any problems with that.
2: But didn't you guys have problems when they came back with black mask and all of a sudden he had this like psionic powers that he was messing with people.
1: Black mask is a much different character than Dr. Death.
2: (laughs) So basically, if they have no name to them, if they are in the lower, like you're fine with them switching it up.
1: Like, if, Okay, let's say, for example, tomorrow uh, an issue came out and it had, uh, let's see, who's a crazy one? Uh, the, the Polka Dot Man, or not the Polka, uh, the Outsider. Okay, the Outsider, which okay. was a character I'm sure that some of you are familiar with at least. The, the Outsider, if they decided to redo the Outsider to make him more fresh... Sure, why not? I don't have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. If they wanted to reinvent the Condiment King, sure. Okay. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what the necessity for that would be, but if they wanted to do it, sure. You know, it's like the, you know, the thing is, when you mess with characters that have been around and they've done their, you know, they've, they've had stories that have been specifically about them. Like, for example, Clayface. Clayface, you know, he doesn't have a ton of stories about him, but, there was, you know, there is a really big Clayface story, uh, the Mud Pack. It's not necessarily involving one Clayface, but the group of Clayfaces. But Clayface also has appeared on multiple media incar- incarnations too. So, I mean, it's like, you know, you've got their origin battled, you know, nailed down in the comics. You've got their origin nailed out, in maybe, you know, movies, a couple movies, a couple TV shows, whatever, or maybe one movie and a couple t- different TV series. And then the comics come along and they just said, you know, you know, we're going to try to redo it again, which is what they've tried to do with some of the characters that like the characters that's focused, that they focused on last month during or uh, two months ago now in villains month. And that that's the problem. It's like, well, why do you need to do, redo it again when there are characters like Dr. Death where really who the heck knows anything about Dr. Death unless you've been paying attention to comics for years and years and years. I mean, not that many people. So, I mean, there's characters from the Silver Age that, you know, people would not even think about putting in comics nowadays that, that, you know, five years ago, Grant Morrison said, I'm gonna put these characters in comics, and then suddenly they became characters that everyone wanted to know about. Uh, you know, case in point, Knight and Squire. Those were characters that weren't around since the 1950s, I believe where you know the group that batman created of all the different characters that he just met with to basically trade war stories with and then suddenly grant morrison came to the table and said i'm going to use these characters and then a couple years later knight and squire has their own mini series uh then this knight ends up dying squire ends up taking the role the the mantle of knight i mean like we saw a huge character progression of these characters over you know the five-year time span that grant morrison was writing these books so by all means, if they want to take characters that exist and, tra- and, and and you know, mess with them, that's fine. Just don't do it to characters that have been established for plenty of extended amounts of time over multiple different incarnations.
2: Okay. I mean, I feel like we could get into a huge discussion about this. I just have an issue with bringing a character that may not have a power set, and then all of a sudden, like, beefing him up. Like, why not keep him the way he is? If you want to add to his backstory, that's well, we don't, completely well, fine. here's
1: the thing. We don't know what his powers are.
2: That's true, but th- he mean, didn't yes, have any he, powers before.
1: Right. I mean, we don't we don't know what he is. I mean, yeah. like, the fact that we keep seeing him in the skeletal form, you know, it could just be some crazy costume. You know, the fact that the story has really has had absolutely no, you know, real you know, crazy people with powers. Mm -hmm. You know, we had the red hood gang who was just a bunch of people with weapons that were being instructed to do certain things. And then we have the Riddler who's nobody, but a guy who decides to wear a mask and to play games because he's super smart. So, I mean, like really there's not anything like this. So, I mean, if this is the beginning of it and that's what they're trying to show is that this is the beginning of maybe the powered people in the powered villains Mm -hmm. That's, that's fine, but I think we don't, I think we just have to give it some time because maybe he's just wearing a costume and he's shooting gas as he walks into the room so people see him like he is, which yes, would be very similar to Scarecrow.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I guess the main question was, what did we think of Dr. Death? Which I guess I answered. I do have to say that he was a scary looking fellow when he pulled down his, his mask. Um, I can't even describe. He, it was, yeah, I don't even know. Uh, the Gordon thing, I—it's interesting, certainly. And I guess this is where we're we're going here because, you know, Snyder said this is going to be completely different, and all along we've said, "Well, this is what we've seen before." So here's a moment that it is, in fact, different. It makes me feel uh, sad just the fact that there is this animosity, on Bruce's side at least, I mean, that was kind of a mean thing that he did, asking Jim to look down there and then, like, push the button and have all the bats fly up in his face. That was a terrible thing to do. And so there's got to be some cause for it. And I feel like it was probably not Gordon's fault whatever happened, um, but like, just circumstances, it was like a bad situation. And I'm sure it has to do with, um, the bad the c- bad cops at the time. But that is, uh, <sighs> That'll be interesting to see. I'm also wondering what's with this stuff in Iraq that that was those scenes I wasn't really sure, oh well, I think it was Iraq. Um, those scenes I wasn't really Nigeria, sure but,
0: uh...
2: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, those things I was not really sure what was going on, but um, yes, Nigeria, I apologize. but yeah, I mean we're we're doing different things. We're going away from the flooded world and, and really pulling off and, and exploring other characters.
1: All right, so with that, uh, I'm going to give Batman number 25 a total of four out of five betterings.
0: I will agree with you. As much as I am not a fan of the Batmobile in this issue and some of the crazier technology, uh, I still enjoy this. I, I think um, Zero is starting to hit its stride with actually doing some stuff that's different, and this new arc, uh, you know, I'm surprised that it's kind of moved away from this Riddler storyline so quickly, but... This Dr. Death stuff is intriguing so far. There's lots of questions to be answered, and I, I enjoyed this. So, yeah, four out of five batterings.
2: I actually thought that this was um, the least, well, out of all the books we read this month, this was the one that I was least satisfied with, so I'm going to give it a three out of five. All right, and over on the website,
1: Josh Clayton gave the book a total of 4.5 out of five batterings. So it's going to give Batman number 25 a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics, number 25. I never said thank you. And you'll never have to. Detective Comics, number 25, written by John Lehman, art by Jason Fabick. Uh, This is also part of the zero-year tie-in. Um, this one focuses on Gordon. Six years ago, Gordon is basically... Uh, looks like he's in a bad situation he's he's attempting to look into the sionis uh sionis chemicals um specifically because there's a new gang that has emerged after the red hood gang disappeared calling themselves the black masks and in turn uh during his investigation he comes across he's he's working with henshaw who as it turns out is actually working with them Um, they knock him out, load him into the truck and, uh, Roman Sionis tells him to drop him off the bridge and make it look like a suicide. So we see him being thrown off the bridge. He's about to hit the water. And then suddenly he says, uh, although today I don't. And then we see him emerging from the water, uh, on the next page. Uh, we then see uh, basically the setup of the Red Hood gang being, you know, eliminated and the black masks appearing. Um, and how Batman is part of Gotham now, and there's just it's just a legend right now. Uh, we then this is now taking place a couple days later, where we see Gordon and his uh, partner uh, investigating a murder that the Black Masks uh, just a robbery that took place where they killed everyone, and it was at a battery factory, and everyone <clears throat> was murdered. But as it appears, his partner does not care really about doing detective work because it seems as if his partner is actually corrupt. Um, After getting a lecture from Commissioner Loeb about staying on point, looking for the vigilante, uh, Gordon decides to take matters into his own hands and maybe push the vigilante, uh, go the vigilante route and do his own thing. He goes to talk to Roman Sionis. As he gets to the Janus chemicals, um, he finds out that uh he is unable to talk but that uh roman sionis has a weird desire for masks um as we then cut to later on uh he tells Loeb all of this and Loeb tells him that he's going to partner him with henshaw who's a part of internal affairs specifically because he's not sure how many uh, corrupt cops are involved in this uh we then find out that uh As it turns out, uh, we skip forward to the present where Gordon is approaching the police precinct. He bursts through the door. Henshaw is sitting there setting up the fact that, uh, Gordon committed suicide. He, uh, punches Henshaw in the face. Uh, his partner pulls a gun on him and in, in turn, Gordon pulls out an envelope and says, listen, I just was at a, uh, a house and Henshaw's house and as it turns out, the, uh, there's a there was an entire folder of all of the corrupt cops that Henshaw had in case he ever got taken down. Um, so as it turns out, uh, that was it. The person who ends up uh, knocking out uh, Gordon's partner is a is a person with a jacket labeled Bullock. Uh, we then see a bunch of corrupt cops being taken out. Uh, Janice Chem- Cosmetics, as I've now missed said the name of the company three times. This is the correct one. Janus Cosmetics uh, goes under. Uh, The next time anybody sees Roman Sionis, he has a new mask on his own face, and it turns out a lot of the corrupt cops end up dead themselves. Uh, Gordon goes back to the docks where he was being beaten up before being thrown off the bridge, and he comes across a flashlight that he had that he threw at Henshaw's face, and as it turns out, uh, he remembered that uh, right before he hit the water, help came, and it was Batman. Batman stopped him from whacking into the water. And uh, he decides that at that point that uh, if he needs help, he needs to build a bigger light. Uh, we then cut to the backup that is called Troubled Waters, written by John Lehman, art by Jorge Lucas. We see a body at the bottom of the bridge where Gordon is talking with a officer, Uh, trying to figure out where exactly, or where exactly the body is, because the body is basically a skeleton. And if it was someone who jumped, their body would not be a skeleton automatically. Uh, he then notices that the officer's face is, is slashed. So Gordon asks what happened. And, uh, the officer tells him that as he was, uh, trying to process the crime scene, there was a gentleman in the crowd who he recognized as Kurt Landstrom, who was, you know, kind of going a little cuckoo about someone about knowing who did this and he needed to stop her and then suddenly he transformed into a man-bat mm-hmm. and flew away. Gordon uh said f- was kind of uh crazed, you know, kind of, kind of taken back by this. Tells him to follow him. They go back to the headquarters where now they have a bat signal on top of the headquarters and uh they tr- and he gives the officer the uh the, the ability to be the first person to turn it on. He turns it on and they say, well, what do we have to do now? And Gordon says, now we wait. He won't be, won't be long. It never is. And then suddenly we see the bat plane flying towards the headquarters. Um, so hopefully the idea is that Batman and Gordon's relationship has formed from that first meeting of Batman saving, uh, saving Gordon off the bridge. Earlier in the story. Next, Man Bat and Queen. So the first part, well, let's talk about the first part. Um you know, this was a pretty simple story. It was it was very ground-based detective story where we see Jim Gordon dealing with, you know, basically his own investigation into trying to figure out where these this black mass gang came from. He deduces it himself, so, I mean, they're showing the fact that he does have capable detective skills. Um, What did you guys think, when you first read it, how he emerged from the water? Did anybody figure it out right away?
2: Let me tell you something. If you remember my discussion on Batgirl 24 and how I was freaking out because it was like Jim Gordon 2.0, him fighting all these superpowered villains. I literally was getting upset because I thought that they had bestowed upon Jim Gordon superpowers and that he somehow survived this fall and then he he was harmless. And he didn't know he had superpowers yet, but it was coming and I was getting upset. So I was very happy at the end to realize what had actually happened, so no, I did not realize until they actually actually explained it to us
0: um I, I didn't go as far as thinking superpowers, but uh <laughs> <laughs> i i didn't um no I just assumed uh you know it was Jim Gordon being written as a badass and surviving the fall um Probably because I didn't think Batman would be the sort of person to stop him from falling and then chuck him in the water anyway, because he still emerged from there soaking wet. But then, you know, after reading the Scott Snyder story, uh, maybe that's why. Because he's like, yeah, you still betrayed my parents and, like, chucked him in afterwards. I don't
1: know. Okay, the, the other real quick thing to talk about is, you know, we kind of see uh, kind of a zero year for black mask in this just as much as we do Jim Gordon. We don't really learn a whole lot about Jim Gordon other than just the fact of the situations that he's in currently in this time's time period. But we do see the fact that black mask is not black mask yet, or I should say Roman Sionis is not black mask yet. Um, but we do know that he will obviously eventually become that, um, the the interesting thing about this that i that this specific story compared to the other ones that we, that have been released and that we'll get to in a minute are the is the fact that gordon at the end of the story talks about how all of these all of the cops are killed the next time we see roman Sionis, he emerges with a mask of his own and then they show a picture of black, you know they show a shot of black mask it's almost as if he's telling this story as if it happened in the past that's very different from the other stories that we are going to review because those stories are actually very specifically set in that time frame of that, you know, of that zero year during right, right around that super storm. And I just wanted to know what you guys thought about the idea of how could Gordon, knowing that the story is supposed to be set in that specific time period of then, how could he know all of these details ahead unless this story was being told in, from a different time period?
0: I, I just assumed that it was uh, like a narration on the past, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, this story's still s- set in that time period, so uh, it, it didn't uh, jar for me.
2: So, just to clarify, you're saying that you believe he's... Even though this is happening six years ago, he could be narrating five years ago or something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, let me, let me I'll put it this way. It's not that it's jarring to me. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting because when we look at Nightwing and we look at Batgirl in right? a minute, yep. we look at both of those stories, those stories are specifically taking place. That character is at this specific time uh-huh. right now. Okay. Yes. But in this story, we have Gordon who is then... Also happening right now, but then is also telling us about stuff that happens not that couldn't have happened right now. It has to happen a little bit down the
2: line. I see. I think it, it does take place. I think that's just the, the trickiness of the sequencing. Um, and I too was wondering why, why is this? It's, it sort of goes back and forth because it starts off with the, the shipyards, right? And, but then we flash back. But I think it, it,
1: no, it's not so much about, because I, I know, I know what you're referring to. You're referring to, you know, the beginning part right before he gets thrown off the bridge. Then it flashes back to Uh set up the entire him getting thrown off the bridge. And then it cuts back to him punching the detective and revealing it at the end. But I'm actually talking about after he punches the guy in the face and the cops all get arrested, he goes into this narration about how Roman Sionis ends up becoming Black Mask. How the you know the corrupt cops slowly get what uh you know they they slowly get weeded out. Commissioner Loeb he ends up leaving because he he feels like he can't even handle it anymore. Um, he talks about all all the corrupt cops who are working with Sionis. They all end up dead. It, it, all of that stuff cannot happen within like the same time frame of this superstorm that's happening in every other book.
2: I see. Um, it's, it, it's,
1: it's not really, it, I guess it's not really a question. It's really just a, it's a point. I and just, do we have an yeah, issue with it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just really like, I noticed it. I didn't necessarily have an issue with it. I just thought it was kind of interesting because it was different from everything else we've seen.
2: But the fact it, I guess I somewhat disagree with you because then they go back to the shipyards again with yeah. Henshaw. So what if it's still, I don't know, what if that is still in the past? Maybe this is, there's just some weird, t- because he is narrating, he is talking, I agree with you, he's talking about the rise of Black Mass, all this stuff, but then all of a sudden we're back with Henshaw betraying him, and then we flash back even we, further, we you know? Him, yeah,
1: and then we see him going back to the shipyard and again yeah. the flashlight. So, I mean, like, maybe maybe that's the case. I don't know. And then the fall that, off just the bridge. The, I guess it's just that one small spot yeah. of, you know, him telling us that all the corrupt cops were killed and Black Ma- or, and Roman Sionis becomes Black mm-hmm. Mask and Loeb leaves. I guess that was the real, you know, kind of thing that throws it. But everything else, I mean, it works fine yeah. as far as the narration goes. That just seemed completely weird to me how... That was there. It's fine where it is. I'm not saying they needed to take it out, but as far as the narration goes, it just seemed odd to have it placed in the story at all. They could have just left it open. We already know that eventually Black Mask, you know, is who he is. We already know that eventually Gordon becomes commissioner himself and Loeb has to leave. Right. So, I mean, like, do we really need to be told that? I don't know. I don't think we did, unless, of course, this was one of those stories where it was just like – hey, maybe people are going to pick up the book who don't normally do it, and Mm -hmm. we're going to explain some things to them.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's very much like a Batman Year One, if you think about it. Uh, In the fact, you know, I always, well, I say along with other people, that Batman Year One is very much a Jim Gordon tale. You don't really see Batman as much, nearly as much, I would argue, as Jim Gordon. And he goes through all of this stuff with the the corruption and Commissioner Loeb and everything. So it's very much a retelling of that, but just more of a focus on him and less on Batman.
1: All right, so Detective Comics number 25, I am going to give a total of four out of five Batarangs.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I was going to, um, and I really enjoyed the art of the backup. Uh, I'll give this a strong... Actually, not, no, I'll give this four out of five batterings.
2: I actually really enjoyed this. I, just like Joe, I, I didn't think I was going to. I disagree with Dustin... He said that, you know, we don't really learn much about Jim Gordon. And and I agree it's not really like a biopic. But I think from all of his interactions with other people, uh, you really get a sense of who this man is. And luckily, he's not very different from who we know him to be in pre-New 52. But this is like, I mean, this is street cop kind of writing here. And and I think that's what really they were doing with Gotham Central and things like that. And, And I had offered up a thought, you know, would they ever have like a detective comics like a story if they're making these big uh issues are they going to have a a story that runs and just follows the cops and would it work and in my opinion i mean this is an experiment right here of whether that would work or not did you enjoy following jim gordon just you know on the street and, and seeing what he deals with day to day and i thought that it it went really well and and i enjoyed everything it was very much like a film noir just sort of you know, following a cop and, and how he was fighting corruption. The only thing that really tore me out of it was the, uh, the Kurt Langstrom scene. Uh, it just seems like, even though it was a backup and it was somewhat related, that I, I just wasn't ready for it and it didn't really seem as in place. Because then all of a sudden we flash forward to the bat signal. So it's like everything should be interconnected, but it wasn't as much. But uh, I, I actually really enjoyed this issue, so I'll give it four out of five.
1: Alright, and over on the website, Benjamin Scott gave the issue four out of five betterings as well. So that's going to give Detective Comics number 25 a total of four out of five betterings. Let's move into our next book, Batgirl number 25. Wow,
2: Batman is so cool. And did you see? He works with a girl. I could totally be like her one day. When can I have a grapnel?
0: Not until you're old enough. When will that be? Never.
2: Backroll number 25, Homestead, a zero-year adventure. Writer Marguerite Bennett, pencils Fernando Pizarin, inker Jonathan Glapion, and colors Blonde. So everyone is the same on this creative team, except Gil Simone is elsewhere. So let's see how, how this happens or how this <laughs> turns out here. The issue begins with the teenage Babs narrating how all her friends at school have contingency plans in case of a disaster. Of course, they all talk about zombie apocalypses because that's a new thing here. But we have an, exa- an actual disaster going on right now in Zero Year. And the main point is really get in, get out, get what you need, and you're gone. And so Babs is at a gas station along with several other frightened people. And she's getting fuel and bread when she's suddenly held at gunpoint by a middle-aged man that she later reflects could have been a, uh, you know, a father of a friend. He fires at her, uh, so he's a little ooh, shaken, and she, but she runs away and makes it back to her house. As soon as she is inside, her father has to leave and tells her to protect the homestead and her brother. Interesting order right there. She moves everything breakable to the center of the house. She duct tapes everything that leaks, and she hammers plywood over the windows, waiting for her father to return. Uh, of course, she went to all this effort for nothing because an officer suddenly knocks. And for some reason, she doesn't walk through the peephole, which we know where that leads her several years later. Ugh. Uh, and uh, he tells her that she needs to gather a few belongings and leave because they are apparently in a flood zone. Beds tells herself that it's just stuff and that they can rebuild, but on the way out she suits up with different defensive and offensive police items from her father's closet. Several displaced families find shelter at a fire department station, and there Babs and James Jr., and he's not happy about it, makes make the acquaintance of Henry, a friendly guy from Cold Light Island. Never heard of that place before. Uh, Babs can't sleep since apparently she's thinking about her dad and not being in touch with him and also thinks about the desperation of panicked people. Uh, obviously, thinking back to that man that shot at her. James Jr. points out the windows are leaking and there's water rising from the foundation. When Babs suddenly realizes there's a sinkhole as the roof and floor give way, basically at the same time of the station. Now Babs gets James to safety and despite him telling her to let the others die, such a nice guy that one, she goes back into the water and helps some people out. So for her, protecting the homestead really means protecting Gotham. Babs is nearly lost in the rising flood until Henry pulls her out. They both lead the others to higher ground, using a ladder as a bridge to move from roof to roof. Babs hears what she thinks is thunder until she sees a score of GCPD blimps, provided by uh, Bruce Wayne, of course, moving towards Cold Light Island, which is fully ablaze, and Babs worries that Gotham is next. Henry urges the group to hurry because the roof will collapse under their combined weight. But when the ladder falls beneath him uh, and he's alone on the other side, he tells the others to throw their stuff to him, (laughs) and they will be able to jump the gap easier. Right then, I knew something was up. With their stuff, now with Henry on the other side, he apologizes and walks off, hoping to use the treasure to make a new start. Babs jumps the gap and collides with Henry, Even though she's outweighed and perhaps outskilled, she continues to fight to protect the homestead. She trips him off the building and he falls into the flood below, but he surfaces and tells Babs to wait for him, as all romances have. And he'll see her around sometime. Who knows? Maybe in five years later. Babs helps the others across the roof and sees Gotham behind her, but higher ground is ahead. And next we have, thank goodness, uh, the back row murder conclusion. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. Okay, hey, how well, if at all, did Bennett do with the relationship between James Jr. and Babs? And do you think she perhaps laid seeds for what James Jr. is to become, i.e. a crazy psychopath?
1: Not really. I mean, like, I guess the clue, like, one of the easiest clues would have been, like, instead of telling his sister, no, don't save those people, he, like, kicked those people in the face, and before she saw that they were, they needed help. You know, that would have been something a little bit easier as a clue, but that didn't happen. So, um, as far as, you know, yeah, I'll just leave it at that.
2: Okay. What do you think of their relationship then between the two?
1: The Between the two of them, I I mean, I didn't... I mean, like, outside of the fact that we know that James has absolutely no emotion, she seemed, you know, really it just seemed like she was protective of him because that's what her father wanted her to be. He's just a brother. You know, she doesn't... He's not like... You know, there's some people... Okay, let me put it this way. There's some people who have a brother or a sister and they are... They are the best friends in the world. You know, they're the ones who grew up together and, you know, th- th- they've done everything together. And, um, then there's the other ones who, you know, they're, you know, there's maybe a, a there's a, a larger gap in, a- in the ages between the two. So they're not necessarily the best friends because they are, they're, they're, there's so much age gap between the two of them that they have completely different interests because of the age gap. And, you know, you see that a lot where, you know, you, you have a kid who's, who's born and then the parents decide they're going to wait a while and wait a while to have another kid. And then all of a sudden it's like the, the, the first born child's five when the other kid's born. And then all of a sudden there's like a four year or, you know, four or five year gap between the two children. And it's like, well, obviously, the 5-year-old's not really going to want to care about the stuff that the, the, the baby cares about. And then, you know, 5 years from there, the 5-year-old's not really going to care about the stuff that the 10-year-old's going to care about. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, the only time that actually happens is the younger kid just wants to be involved with the older kid. But the way James is, he could care less because he just doesn't care about anything. So, because of that, you're never really going to see that. So, it's just... They're just there, you know, they know that they're brother and sister and they know that they need to stick together. And, you know, he, he it's on, you know, as far as he goes, he doesn't come across as like anything where he's like, Oh, I'm going to try to get rid of my sister, or anything like that. You know, and I appreciate that because they could have done that route and it would have been stupid. But, you know, they're just written as a brother or sister who are brother and sister. You know, they're not friends. They're not, you know, they're not going to go, you know, play video games together probably, but, you know, ultimately, they'll do what their parents are told. Or, you know, they'll do what their parents tell them to do.
0: I don't think there was much, uh, like, really delved into between their relationship. It was kind of like a, hey, dad said we should do this. It was like, shut up, we're going. Um, <laughs> so, uh, there were some kind of seeds, I guess, but I kind of felt the, leave them there to die! It was a bit much, kind of. No, I, his personality, especially in Scott's night, is kind of. Right, he was always more quiet, and um, kind of was an undertone, kind of creepiness to him, rather than a an outright, you know, I hate everyone, they should all die, kind of thing. So, I I'm not sure how subtle it was, but I guess there were uh, seeds to his uh, his future. But yeah, I don't think the relationship was particularly touched on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I. Just looking at his face, I think especially with the Henry sections was something that I was wondering about. And I think it just goes to his like possessive nature because if we think about how he was, uh, especially when we saw him in row, just him wanting uh, to be the one to, to kill those that were close to him. Uh, whenever Henry were to talk or when they actually met and everything, if you just see his face, I think that's just sort of points uh he's upset that this guy's even talking to him. And then if you saw like Henry put his hands on his shoulder and he's like, It'll be okay. And he's like moving away his shoulders. But that could just be, you know, a kid like a you know, a kid looking at that. But I I just think it was interesting to see those two uh together because we haven't really seen what they look like younger. So uh we've seen how they are in the now and then in that weird Oh, never mind. You didn't you don't read Birds of Prey. So never mind. Uh, let's see. The next one is if this is conceivably Babs's first adventure since she does say that she hasn't had much training while she's fighting Henry. How do you think she does uh in comparison to what we've seen in the 0 issue? And how does this adventure fare for her in general?
1: She I mean, she saves she saves a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um You know, even if it's not her directly, she sets up the you know a lot of the ability for a lot of people to be saved by making sure that you know she saves that first person who can continue the chain of helping the people up the fireman pole, and then helping the people onto the roof. You know, yeah, it's kind of a horrible situation because she put a little bit too much faith into Henry, and because of that, you know, that kind of costs them a lot of their supplies and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's just it's one of those things where you know you know, she, she's, she's doing what she can, but throughout the entire issue, it really came across as she was still trying to do exactly what her dad told her to do, which was make sure she keeps her brother safe and to, you know, protect the homestead, which really just meant protect, protect James Jr. because that was really the only thing that really needed to be saved when it was all said and done, you know, the house isn't going to be able to be saved when it comes to the flood water and stuff like that, that she can control. So, I mean, I think that it ultimately, it just comes across as, yeah, she was a hero. She, she saved people. Even if it wasn't like everyone's going to sit there and say, that's the girl who saved us. You know, it's not going to be kind of like that. It's kind of like one of those unspoken heroes. So while she was looking towards this Henry guy to be a hero for her, she was actually probably the unspoken hero for a lot of those, you know, citizens.
0: I do like the fact that she it wasn't necessarily a victory as much it was it wasn't too easy but then kind <laughs> of she hasn't done much better in the, in her like modern day storylines um if anything she gets beaten up more now than she did then so uh it, it there wasn't much of a change to be honest
2: I at least thought that she did better in this issue if only because she was younger and less experienced and it seems like she's able to fare better than she was when she was inexperienced, older, and against this huge guy in Gotham City Police Department. Um, But it was interesting to to see her. I I think this could potentially be like her first adventure and I almost feel like this is – a this turned out better than zero year did um and yes i mean she got a taste of being a hero i liked that one she said i was thinking about her i was hoping for and then dot 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 a hero but the hero was where henry was like pulling her out but really she was the one that you know i think she was the one who came out on top my final question is how did bennett here the writer do with this character
1: you know i was thinking about this because i One of the first things I noticed was that Gail Simone wasn't on the book. And uh, a lot of people might not make the connection, but Bennett is actually the other pupil of Scott Snyder who was previously on the Batman, who who helped with the uh, Batman annual back in July. And she's also the one who's going to be taking over uh, Talon in February or January. I can't remember, January or February. She's taking it over from James Um So I was kind of looking at this from a bunch of different perspectives because I really wasn't a huge fan of that Batman annual in the first place. So this was another of something that she did so that I could kind of gauge as to how well she could possibly be on an ongoing series knowing that she's going to be taking over Talon. Um, As far as jumping into the mix and kind of, you know, Telling a story that's part of the overall thing, but not you know hindering the story that Gail Simone's kind of uh, the, has been doing. I don't think she did a bad job. I mean, obviously she's got a little bit going for her because she doesn't really have to deal with any of the crazy crap that's been happening in Batgirl over the last couple months. Specifically because this story is taking place way before any of that happens. So I mean, she can basically write a story that has that that can that doesn't have to reference, doesn't have to deal with any repercussions or anything at all of what's happened in the pages of Batgirl, which is something that most writers can, can't can say they can do because that rarely ever happens where they can come onto a book and say, oh, I get to write this character. But I have to deal with all of this stuff that happened from the previous writer because that almost is always the case. So I think that as far as just a Babs Gordon five years ago story, I don't think it was that bad. I don't think that sh- that Bennett did a bad job. You know, as far as, you know, it was an amazing story. Eh, no, it w- I mean, it was just it was it was a uh, it was it was on par for, you know, what what I would expect of a normal bat book, but I would say that it was a little bit above par of what I expected of row because as far as back I, I mean, I don't expect a whole lot coming from Gail Simone nowadays. So, um I I think it w- it was fine. It wasn't like, it wasn't amazing, but you know it, it was it was okay. It was it was average. It was an average story that you know that that told Barbara Gordon in a, in a in a very good way. Just you know didn't blow my mind, but at the same time wasn't nearly as bad as some of the crap we've seen in the last couple of months.
0: I um I did a similar thing and actually stopped to have a think about how I felt about this because I wasn't sure if I was. I didn't want to be biased and say, oh, yeah, I like this more because it's not uh, Gail Simone um, or anything like that. Uh, I felt that she was kind of aping um, Simone's style in... The, kind of the repetition of the inner in the monologues, kind of the uh, got to protect the homestead, got to protect my brother, got to do this, need a hero, need a hero, got to protect my brother, need need to be a hero, got to protect the homestead, protect my brother, need to be a hero. Kind of that kept going on throughout the issue, which is something that I feel that repetition is, is something that we see a lot in Simone's uh, writing of the character. So the character kind of felt consistent. I actually enjoyed uh, the story, the kind of the action in it, the pace and everything like that, so I thought that was well done and I think that's kind of where most of my enjoyment came from was the plot, uh, not necessarily the writing, but like Dustin was saying I don't think it was badly written If it, it was decent to uh, fairly well written I'd say um, yeah, no issues with it, but it, it definitely didn't blow me away
2: I... <laughs> You know, I I feel like even though Dustin has a very deep voice and doesn't laugh a lot, or you know, show happy emotions, that when he's <laughs> when he says that it was on par with other bat books, that is like high praise right there in my opinion. Especially given the current affairs and state of backroll, and just to go from like reviewing, obviously, you know backworld oracle is a month behind so just thinking about i i just reviewed 24 and then reading this is like a breath of fresh air and no it certainly wasn't it wasn't perfect but i feel like it was a much better story than than we are accustomed to and it's darker obviously we're in this darker world so we can't have uh this this funner book but is funner more fun uh but I, I just thought uh, the character was was better and I enjoyed her really stepping out and I think this was the realization of her and and her love of Gotham and wanting to protect it and to show this is the the beginning of it all. I just thought that it was it was well done in comparison to what we've seen and and I too am sorry you know I honestly don't want it to seem like. I'm not enjoying Gil Simone because I wish I could almost read books without seeing the title pages and then just go on what's in it because it's honestly not her name that's coloring it. It's, it really is the content. And if this were written by Gil Simone and it read like this, then I'd be like, oh, wow, this was a good one. But unfortunately, the books that I've been enjoying for the most part are the ones where Gil Simone has not been writing them. So I'm sorry.
1: All right, so back roll number twenty-five. I'm going to give a total of three
0: and a half out of five batterings. I'll agree at three (laughs) out of five batterings.
2: And I will once again disagree with my male counterparts, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give it a four out of five.
1: Might be the only time we hear Stella give back roll four out of five. (laughs) All right, so back roll number twenty-five gets a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Nightwing number (laughs) twenty-five. Nightwing, number 25, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Will Conrad and Cliff Richards. Uh, the issue starts off where a movie is playing. It's, in fact, The Swordwalkers. And uh, we see that Dick is actually in the theater watching the film. And suddenly, as the uh, film is, as he's watching it, the, the entire city goes black. Um... Everyone believes that uh, someone shouts, we're being attacked, and there's a huge riot of everyone trying to get out. Uh, Dick gets stomped on as everyone's trying to leave, and we cut to three hours earlier where Dick Grayson is performing at Haley Circus, um, and he is basically outshining Raya and Raymond and his parents are you know seeing this and you know they realize that he's basically he's he's showing off and he's showing that he's better than ryan raymond you can see ryan raymond not very happy about this um after the fact everyone in the circus is talking about how great dick is and oh pretty soon it'll just be the flying grayson because he's so great ryan raymond are pretty ticked and uh, they decide that they're going to not go to the movies with him um, back at the, uh, Grayson's trailer, Dick's father comes in to basically tell him he needs to stop showing off. Uh, you know, those, those are supposed to be your friends. They're not meant to be the people that you basically look, make look bad because you're, you're better than them. Uh, we then cut to Gotham General, where as it turns out, uh, there was an operation that was going on with Amigdala and he is now woken up. And he is screaming, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, and he's busted through the wall. Well, we then go back to the theater, where, as it turns out, uh, Dick wakes up and he's approached by a, a couple of children. And uh, he explains to them that he's from the circus, and the children say, we know some back alleys to get back to there. Um, we'll, we'll help you get back so that way you don't have to deal with the riots on the main streets uh we then find out that one of the boys is uh at, at some point we find out one of the boys is related to Sal Moroni. and then we the all the the children and Dick come across Amigdala Amigdala is uh chasing them throughout the city saying kill the little people kill the little people i'm going to get you and uh they get into a building they close the door very quickly but uh, one of the boys actually hurts his leg. It looks like he uh, twisted his ankle. Uh, Maroney's son decides that he's going to. He wants to get lost because he needs to get back because his dad's going to be mad. Um, the girl says, "No, we can't leave him." He walks off by himself. Uh, after Dick helps the boy, uh, they decide that they're all going to go together and they're going to pretend they are part. They all sword walkers and they put on fake masks. Uh, they see Amigdala's continuing to try to bash in the door as they climb out a side door, and then all of a sudden, the banging stops, and Amigdala comes bursting out of a wall right in front of them, and he sees, he says, different little people, and he starts chasing them again. Uh, all of a sudden, Salomarone's son pops out of nowhere. He trips over a rock, and uh, they decide... To, or Dick decides to go back and kick Amigdala in the in the head, and to draw Amigdala away from the, the children so that they in turn can escape. Uh, later, at the uh, after he a, after he draws them away, he makes a jump across a building that Amigdala cannot make, and he crashes and smacks into the pavement. You know, uh, is like three three stories below. Uh, back at the circus, uh, everyone's back, and Sal Moroni appears mm-hmm. and tells everyone that uh, he wants to know who's in charge. He's so glad that his son is safe. And uh, as it turns out, Sal Moroni says it meets Cece Haley for the first time. Um, Sal Moroni says, listen, if there's anything the circus ever needs, I'm in your debt. I will help you with any way that I can. Uh, Haley says, you know, th- you know that might be something that we might look into later on. Uh, we then see the Graysons come to Dick and say, you're grounded forever, but uh, real, but uh, we're proud of you and we're glad you're safe. Uh, we then see Dick apologize to Raya and Raymond, who come across as uh, the, the typical emo couple. And uh, they in turn uh, say that uh, they explain... Uh, Dick says, you know, maybe we need to change up the act and we can all work together as a team, the three of us, and maybe we can wear masks. And uh, he, and then they said, well, what about you? Aren't you the star? And he goes, yeah, but if you ask me, stars are overrated. All right, Nightwing number 25. So, well, first off, uh, what did you guys think about how this story works into Zero Year? And, well, I guess the Zero Year crossover with all of the other books. Um, since it does take place a little bit earlier into, you know, the storm hasn't come. This is right as, uh, the Riddler first turns off the electricity and, uh, creates the blackout in Gotham City and Dick dealing with that. Uh, what did you guys think of just how this, in you know, kind of, this kind of worked with everything, all the other stories that we read related to the zero year?
0: Um, I think yeah, I mean I think the best example of the zero year storyline is probably uh Detective Comics because this one and, and the Batgirl one as well, um, felt kind of short. I think probably the Batgirl one was probably worse because it's kind of well, what are they gonna do next and, and we're not gonna see what happened next but it's I mean it's still I guess her first adventure where and it's kind of the same with this where it's a kind of snapshot of that time, which I guess is what it's supposed to be. It's just I don't I don't know. Again, like I know they were kind of forced to do these tie-ins, um, and it kind of feels like it. It's it's just strange that, that I I don't think like I'm I'm not sure if there was, they they probably tried to cram too much into one, but it kind of like I wouldn't want to see another issue of this, but uh, yeah, it all felt a bit sort of fast paced.
2: Did you say you would not want to see another issue of this? I would not. Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, one issue in the past is enough for all of these characters. Now, there are two things that... Well, one thing that I liked in Batman is just that panel that we had and it talked in a vague manner about other people that were doing their part or working around the city, and then it was a double-page spread. And then on the sides, you you look at all the different people. You saw Arrow, Green Arrow and Dick, of course, and Barbara and Flash. Uh, so I, I didn't get to mention that before, but I did enjoy that. What I really like about this Barbara and uh, Dick-centric issue is that even though, yes, we're forced to – in, and it's frustrating because we were on a main storyline, we took a break for Villains Month, we came back to the regular storyline, we're taking a break, and then we'll go back again. I don't feel like we're being forced into this because of the sheer detail that Batman does not appear. I think if, like, all of a sudden it was going to be, like... Um, the Zero issue with Jason Todd that they cross paths. I think that also happened with Nightwing as well. Just there was some sort of interaction and they m- met each other. I think then i had been like, okay, that's enough. But the fact that it's really very centric and, and devoted to the character, I like that. I like that it's not going elsewhere. And this is like their daily lives. Yeah, there's a disaster going on, but what were they doing before that disaster what were they doing during it? And then what gives us a taste of the hero that they're going to become? And I think for that purpose, I think the Babs issue did that. And I think the the Dick Grayson one did as well. And you get to see his character, the fact that he doesn't want to leave that friend behind. And I do like the little tie um, to the Maroni family. Yeah. Though if Josh were on here, he'd probably say, too much, do much. You know, because he doesn't like things to overlap like that. But uh, yes,
0: uh, I don't mind flawed heroes and stuff, but Dick Grayson was really true to his name in this issue. And I, like, it felt so kind of, oh yeah, Dick Grayson's going to learn a lesson in this issue, boys and girls. And it, I, don't, I didn't really enjoy that aspect of it either. I mean, I know Dick Grayson is cocky and he's always been that way and confident, but I think this was, too far in, in that, I mean, I don't know, younger, but I didn't like that.
1: Yeah, I think the, that ultimately, I think that when it comes to Dick Grayson, this was, you know, I don't even know if the word is cocky, because it really just comes across as, you know, he is a show-off, he basically, like, the way he's depicted here, um, it, it just comes across as, you know, he set himself up for what ends up happening in the first story arc of... Uh, Nightwing, when the new 52 started with Ryan Raymond, because the, what happens here, I mean, like, it's basically like he, he set himself up. He, he basically treated them like crap. Uh, you know, yes, okay, maybe he turned over a new leaf after this situation. I, you know, I don't know if he did, then I don't really understand what the reasoning behind what they end up still doing, but, uh, um, but I think that, It really just comes across as he was a show off. Then he randomly goes against his father's word and plays his mother and says, you know, and convinces her to let him go to the movies by himself. I don't know why that, why she allowed him to go to the movies by himself. That was the one part that I was kind of confused about because I thought his father said he couldn't go. Then it seemed later on that his, that it seemed as if his mother said he could go, but then his father was ticked because he went by himself and then they were both upset because then he was missing and you know there's this is big thing so i mean like there was a little confusion there but uh really the the other thing that i really want to talk about is Amigdala. the the thing is a couple things one we haven't seen this character pop up in the new 52 outside of i think um i want to say he did pop up in some of the weird background shots of Forever Evil, Arkham War, and some of the weird uh, background shots of some of the villains' issues, where they were referencing some of the stuff that was happening in Forever Evil. But outside of that, he hasn't been a character that they've used. Now, one of the things I've said time and time again that I don't understand why we don't see more of in Nightwing is we don't see a lot of characters that you know that are established characters from the Batman universe in the pages of Nightwing. Now even if this is for a one-off issue, you know, Amigdala is not, you know, probably the best character in the world to use, but I'm glad he was used only for the sheer fact that it's an established character instead of just creating yet another character as we've seen multiple times in Nightwing. Now, that that's not to say that the characters that Kyle Higgins has created in Nightwing have been bad. I don't think they have been. You know, there's been some that are, have been much better than others, but for the most part, I think that You know, I really have am wishing that we could tie Dick some way into the the Batman universe instead of just by, you know, name recognition alone. You know, the fact that he's now moved out of Chicago or moved out of Gotham and he's in Chicago and now that, uh, you know, the only real link lately he's had is Tony Zuko, which is really less of a link to the Batman universe and more of a link to himself, Dick Grayson. So, I mean, I think it's nice to have a character even as low end of the scale as Amygdala is up here. It's just kind of nice to see this character pop in, have a character that's actually already been established and not change the character that much. Yes, he was a giant red hulking Hulk character that was bursting through walls. But, you know, that's what the character was always, was always. They didn't change anything. They just used the character that already existed from the Batman universe to do what they needed to do. And, you know, I like when writers do that, and even if it is just something minuscule. What I don't like is when a writer takes a character that already exists, changes them to work with into whatever they want to do with their story, just to say, hey, I use this character. I don't like that. So I think this, as small as this character is, this is the right way to do it.
0: Yeah, I definitely appreciated uh, an actual villain um, when you were saying that, I got a horrible flashback to the whole like psycho era of Nightwing and, and the, uh, yeah, my name's Shocks, spelled S-H-O-C-K-S, but, you know, it's like this and pronounced like this, you know, like that whole thing, which uh, was tedious. Um, yeah, uh, I, I remember reading Amidala in uh, Nightfall um, and, well, not... 100% sure how faithful this is. Uh, it didn't seem out of place to me. I, I seem to remember him being quite submissive in Nightfall but I think that's because he was teamed up with uh, ventriloquists, which um, probably had something to do with it. But no, it just, I mean, even for name recognition alone, it was nice to have an established villain in there.
2: You know, I, I think if you're going to take a classic character, this is basically what I'm, you know, I was saying, I, I guess it all comes full circle. But, it, you know, it worked out. I guess you can't call him classic, but, you know, he's a, he's a character that we saw before, and they kept true to who he was. You know, maybe switch up the design slightly, but, um, yeah, and, and it was, I think it was a shocking villain. Like, you weren't expecting him at all, and, and I think that made it pretty interesting.
1: All right, so Nightwing number twenty-five. I'm going to give this one also four out of five batterings.
0: I will be giving Nightwing three out of five batterings,
2: and I'll be splitting the two and give it three point five out of five.
1: And over on the website, Josh Clayton gave the issue three out of five batterings, so it's going to give Nightwing number twenty-five a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book, Forever Evil Arkham War number two.
0: He should have been more careful. Now he's paid the price for his incompetence. Forever Evil Arkham War No. 2, written by Peter Tomasi with art by Scott Eaton. The issue opens with Manbat and his soldiers protecting their territory and taking down Bane's venomized soldiers. We then cut to Gordon and Detective Pierce, who are hiding out in in a food truck, whilst reviewing the layout of Blackgate for something stupid they have planned later. Outside the truck, we can see Penguin, and as we cut to him, we see he's meeting with Bane. Penguin remains unbiased in the war, his priority being his own safety, and as such, he agrees to help Bane. He also tips him off as to Scarecrow, who is stealing the talents from Blackgate as they talk. When when Bane leaves to stop Scarecrow, Penguin walks up to the food truck and asks Gordon if he'd like the opportunity to save his fellow civil servants. We then cut to Blackgate in mid-riot, where Gordon and Pierce find and rescue Agatha, the Warden. The Warden is desperate to find her colleague, but it's too dangerous, so Gordon says they'll go look for him tomorrow. Outside, in the loading dock, Scarecrow is dealing out helms for Manbat's soldiers to carry to Mr. Freeze's laboratory. As this happens, Bane shows up and knocks Scarecrow to the floor. Most of the soldiers escape, but Manbat and his cargo are wrecked out of the sky, and Bane promises that he'll be back. As he sees Gordon escaping, as Gordon Pierce and the warden get into a car, Bane stops them and hands over Agatha's injured colleague, saying they want the same things. For the moment, to be continued.
2: Can I ask a question? Yes. Uh, when did all of this? Ha- when did Langstrom all of a sudden uh, create all the this army of man bats?
0: I'm not sure. I know that uh, Peter Tomasi is been one to reference Morrison stuff before so okay. I'm not sure if it's related to that at the same time uh, I think uh, man bat said early on in the issue um, I only created a few of you only gave enough serum for a few of you or something yeah, it was 12 oh, okay.
1: yeah he said early in the issue that he gave, he only gave the ability to 12 people oh, okay. So it's I don't think they're referencing Morrison stuff. I think this is basically you know scratch you know you know from scratch you know I I you know basically am trying to start up my own gang just like everyone else around here and I gave you guys the ability and that's that's where it's at because they made a point of there's not that many of them and they were they were having a hard time taking out. The prisoners from Black A, plus some of the venomized people from Bane's army, too.
2: So, do you think this goes to answer the question of we talked about a couple? Oh, I think like Don's last episode, are we going to see Man as a villain or sort of an anti hero? Do you think this is getting closer to one of those sides, this particular issue, and seeing what he's doing here? Well,
1: when it comes to it like that, it, he's obviously on the side of the villains, but if he's siding with Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it comes across as. Now, the one thing that's interesting, you know, at, at a point in the at the point in the issue where they're all supposed to fly off with the talons, and Scarecrow yells at Manbat to help him, and Manbat's like, "No, the talons are the priority." I have to wonder to myself, okay, if the talons are the priority, who is Manbat working with? You know, is he taking them to freeze? Is that the idea? Is that what the plan is and that's why you know all of these villains have come to a conclusion yes we are all working together as one solid unit because that almost never happens so to me it almost comes across as maybe matt and bat has his own agenda with the talons
0: actually i thought the whole point of the talon subplot was that uh not so much the talons but that was a generator powerful enough to kind of keep them in their hibernation and they were after that power more than anything. Because if they take them, there's that whole point about we've got to take them to Mr. Freeze because otherwise they'll wake up out of hibernation um, which either means they'll die or they'll awake and start killing everyone again. Um, but if the city's got no power, then I don't know what good it is taking them to uh, Mr. Freeze's laboratory.
1: Yeah, I don't know because I mean like I really got this idea that the whole idea of why Bane wanted them was cuz he wanted to wake them up. That was his trump card as he told Penguin. But then the fact that the the all of the other rogues were all the other villain all the other villains are at Blackgate taking the Talons away led me to believe that okay, so maybe they're just trying to disarm Bane from being able to use the talents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then it was like but then, when they started talking about Mister Freeze and how Mister Freeze was the one who created the process to make sure that they could all they would all be stay asleep, then I was like, okay, so if Freeze is on their side, and we've seen not so much in some of the books we've covered here, but on the point five cast, Freeze has been involved the Court of Owls, like ongoing in the pages of Talon, the pages of Birds of Prey. Yep. So, I mean, like, it's not something that is, you know, he doesn't like the court of all. Nope. So, if it's that he's trying to kill the talons, that makes sense, but it was never actually said. It really just came across as they needed to get those talons to Mr. Freeze for whatever reason. And I don't really get it because I would assume as soon as they're disconnected from the generator, regardless of how quickly. I mean, they did say it was like 13 minutes or something they had to get them back to Mr. Freeze. If they only had 13 minutes, where are they taking them where they're going to be able to knock them back together before they wake up? If there's the only one place that has a generator that will actually keep them in their stasis lock.
0: Yeah. I, I don't really understand the uh, Gordon subplot either. I, I think the issue started to pick up pace and we're starting to see some stuff happen, whereas the last one kind of felt, Again, like it was marking out the territories and things like that. Again, whereas this we're kind of starting to see the war break out, um, which I guess is the point of the miniseries. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I don't really understand the that element, and especially with the the warden of Blackgate saying, "Oh, I need my colleague. Where's my colleague?" Unless that was just um, for Bane to then bring them, bring him to her. Uh, as a kind of peace offering kind of thing. Um, I don't know if that's relevant to anything or if it's kind of Bane trying well, to buy favors.
1: Well, I wonder if it's actually because, you know, the whole point of what Bane, the whole reason why is doing what he's doing is because there's too many of these costume villains who are basically to him freak shows. Mm-hmm. You know, that's who they are. He he's, he's come to Gotham to basically rid Gotham of these people. That doesn't mean that he wants to sit here and kill off all of these citizens that live in Gotham City. So really, there's like, if anybody would be more inclined to side with the police, it would probably be Bane.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm not giving him enough credit, which is probably because I haven't been reading a lot of the uh, series he's been showing up in. But I actually, now you said that, I actually like that uh, interpretation because uh, it, it goes back to him being more intelligent. Than, uh, than, he's often portrayed as.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, like it just comes down to you know, I'm not saying the police are going to side with Bane, but realistically, Bane, you know, he's trying to basically save Gotham, as he's putting it. You know, whether whatever methods he wants to use, that's his own thing. But that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to save Gotham from what it's what it has become because of these costume freaks. Is he's put it in the the last issue and also the lead up in in talent so i mean like for me it just comes down to okay that's fine it makes sense that he wa- you know he has no problem handing over this person but it also kind of contradicts it because why does he allow all of his his men to basically murder all of the other people at black King prison if if he has you know if they're on the, you know if they're on the same side in quotation marks. So, I mean, like, it, you know, the, I, I don't really understand it. I'm sure it's going to have to come back to, you know, something down the road. But I think it's really this issue is trying to show how everyone can play sides, mm-hmm. regardless of who you are.
2: And I feel like for Bane, there's, like, it's just his way or, or no, and he's going to use whomever he needs to to fit his purpose. Like, you, we see him with Penguin, and Penguin's obviously playing – two different sides and I think whenever he needs it he could use the police but he wouldn't necessarily have them as like partners or anything so once he's done with them then he'll just discard them but it's his will at the end and whatever he plans on doing is crazy so I don't yeah it's tough you know I asked the question is man bad or is he closer to the villain side or the anti-hero side and I guess it depends on what you think is the bad side and the good side in this book here. Cause I think that was the whole point of forever evil is just that it's more than just black and white and there are levels of it. And so who are the good guys and the bad guys here? So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Which side would you be on? Would you be on scarecrow and, and trying to keep Bane from taking over or are you on Bane's side?
1: Um, I'd be on the side of neither
0: because I would be Bane. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I am. I initially, I was kind of on the Arkham side and I think this is because of familiarity and kind of because it's kind of their territory and it, I got the sense of Bane invading. But then when you look at what they're doing to the city, um, Bane is definitely kind of, if you had to pick one of those sides, probably the side to go with in terms of slightly more just. But I mean, yeah, I, I, I would be the, the Robin to Dustin's Batman. <laughs>
2: Oh boy. Um, so I guess I'm the backer to all of that, but if, you if wish. that was, if that, didn't, oh, hey, 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 hey. If, uh, if I didn't, I don't know. I feel more drawn to like Mambat and I know Two-Face, his allegiance wavers wherever the corn lands, but I feel like he was originally more closely associated with Scarecrow than Bane was. And I just feel like there's still a sense of justice within him. And Man Bat, I still hold out hope. I feel like he's more of an anti-hero, so I think I would I go definitely on that.
0: That's something that I hope is uh, drawn upon more, is that there are different levels. Because if you're looking at detective comics, then um, Man Bat is definitely not a villain. It's kind of not even an anti-hero kind of thing. It's an internal struggle of trying to overcome this monster that he sometimes becomes and, and doesn't want to. And in that series, you know, it's about him now fighting Francine, um, not you know, being a villain himself uh, and then with things like Two-Face and kind of it just being a 50-50 chance whether he's going to be law-abiding or, or kill someone or whatever and then uh, I I continue to like Penguin in this um, just that kind of playing the field just like, you know, whatever's best for me that's what I'm going to do although I don't understand, like I said before the him going up to Gordon saying yeah, do you want to go rescue this person you know?
1: Yeah, I don't really understand it either, but I mean, honestly, I, I, I have to say, uh, I gotta go back a couple comments here. I have to say that there, that as far as if you had to pick a side, one or the other, um, I honestly, I would not want to be on either one of the sides because they don't really make a lot of sense with what I stand for, but I will say that picking only certain villains from one side, that doesn't really work because Ultimately, you're working with all of these other crazies. So, when, when, and then going to Joe's comment about, you know, the ex- exploration of these characters in the levels, you know, I, I hope that, you know, they deal with that too, because the thing is, like, when you look at some of these characters, like, for example, thank God she hasn't been mentioned, but the ventriloquist, you know, she's just a psycho who kills people. You know, there's, there's no, nothing about her that is, you know, she's a, she, and then she decorates them to be, look like puppets. Woohoo. I mean, like, there's nothing, like, unique about her. It's not like the, it's not like Two-Face where he's, he actually decides whether or not the person that he comes in contact with needs to die or not. And generally, you never see Two-Face walk up to Joe Schmo walking down the road and shoot him in the face. Oh, gosh. Regardless, regardless of what the coin says. I mean, that just, you never see that. You know, and then the same thing, like, Joe was saying with Mambat. Mambat is, Not a character that, you know, if he's Kirk Landstrom, is not going to be walking down the street. And then he's going to, you know, murder somebody and then wait till to to become Man Bat to eat him. It's, it's, They're very, very, very different characters. So it'll be interesting to see because, you know, some of these characters that got thrown in here that don't make any sense to me. Like Ventriloquist. She's on such a different playing field. And that's not a good thing in any way. I just want to clarify that. She's on a different playing field when it comes to, like, being a villain in the Batman universe, where it doesn't make any sense. When you look at, you know, even Scarecrow, yes, he messes with people, but he's not just outright killing people. You know, that's the thing. It's like, when you look at a lot of these different characters, they just don't walk around murdering random citizens that are walking down the road unlike ventriloquist who who has shown has they've shown multiple times to be that type of person she will just kill people because she wants them to look like puppets after they're dead i mean like there's nothing around it so i mean like realistically it just comes down to i hope they do explore that and i hope that there's like an internal struggle amongst all of the villains group because some of them you know are more extreme than others you know, Joker's not on this group. Joker's the only character that I think would actually just, you know, randomly kill people to kill people, as we've seen. But like a lot of these other ones, they don't associate themselves with the Joker most of the time because they're not like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, de- I definitely think that this series has potential, and I, I really hope that demosi goes down that route. All
1: right, so with that, Forever Evil Arkham War number two. I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings.
0: I'll give it three out of five batterings.
2: Would you believe that I'm going to agree with my BFFL, Dustin, and, and give it 3.5 out of five?
0: What does that make me? Um, what exactly does BFFL <laughs> best stand Best friends for
2: life! Biffle. Okay.
1: Biffle. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Over on the website... Corbin Poole gave the issue a total of 3.5 out of 5 Batarangs. So that's going to give Forever Evil, Arkham War, number two, a total of 3.5 out of 5 Batarangs. That is all of our books. Unfortunately, there is no Batbooks for Beginners this episode. Uh, there is a issue with John getting this episode in, so uh, you will have to stay tuned until next episode to get the next part of Batman No Man's Land. But don't worry, uh, but you can definitely catch up with all of the previous episodes of Bat Books for Beginners, by checking out the individual Bat Books for Beginners feed and leaving your comments on the individual episodes as well.
2: <laughs> Boy,
0: did you get a wrong number? Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please don't! Ah!
1: All right, so that's going to move us straight into listener Q&As. We do have a couple of different listener Q&As to go over. Uh, the first one actually comes from episode 125. It was posted after we recorded the last one, but I did want to get to it. Terry said, hey, guys, another great episode. I did have a few thoughts about your discussion of Joker's identity and the fact that whoever was being Red Hood won, since it apparently wasn't the guy who Bruce thought it was, since that guy was dead. I read the whole arc as a big fake out and that it was done kind of tongue-in-cheek by Snyder. I personally didn't read that the Red Hood 1 character was supposed to be Joker as much as it was a setup from the beginning as someone who you were supposed to assume was Joker, but who was not in the end. I may be alone in thinking this, but personally I thought that if any of the Red Hood gang was the person, was the man who later became the Joker, that it might even be the guy at the beginning of issue number 24 who claims to be a chemistry teacher and who says that he was blackmailed into participating. But even if that isn't true, I think the fact that Alfred references that the identity of the Red Hood leader is a multiple choice possibility pretty much is a direct call to the Joker saying in the killing joke that his origin is multiple choice in a way that lets you think that this guy was the Joker if you want, or that if, 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 or that it isn't if you want. Either way, just my thoughts. Keep up the good work. Well, Terry, I actually thought this was a, this was an interesting comment. You know, specifically because, you know, I didn't really think of it like that. I didn't really think to myself, hey, maybe the whole entire possibility of Joker being involved with the Red Hood Gang is actually just another one of the possible origins. You know, the fact that this character from the Red Hood Gang did fall into a a, a, a basically the pot of chemicals at Ace Chemicals. That pretty much determined that th- that had to be the Joker. I mean, to me, that's just what it was. If it was tongue in cheek by Snyder, it was way, uh, there was a little bit more than tongue in his cheek because that, to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense of why would we go to the extremes of creating a character who's in the Red Hood, throw him in the, in the, the, the Vatic chemicals at Ace Chemicals of all places, and then somehow this is not the Joker. I mean, that's, that, that goes a little too far if that's actually the case. Um, that's not to say that some of these other characters that have appeared couldn't have been the Joker either, you know, who knows, you know, I think that it ultimately just comes down to the Joker was probably not the, or the guy who, the Joker was probably not the leader of the Red Hood gang the entire time. Maybe he was a guy who came in way out, way long after, and he just happened to be the Red Hood number one at the time. And that's why that character was... You know, the person who Bruce thought it was was actually dead was because maybe this person took over the gang because he realized how it worked and eliminated the leader and decided to run it himself. And then that ended up being the Joker, too, because it's the same guy. I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities of how it could work out. But the, the way you're saying it is the least makes the least amount of sense to me only because it to to go to that extreme of throwing somebody specifically into a bat of chemicals and then it not being the Joker, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
0: I don't know. I thought I said this when I uh, reviewed the issue that I, I kind of felt similar to you that it was kind of at least purposefully vague where it wasn't explicit that it was the Joker and it could be taken that way if you wanted to or not and just kind of left as a reference maybe to Killing Joke or – or that kind of thing. I I never, from the outset, assumed that it was the Joker. Um, just because I I didn't feel that Scott Snyder would would do that. And um, yeah, it never was explicit. And I think that if you want to read it as the Joker, then that's fine. You can do. I'm. And if not, then you don't have to. I I don't think that the it will ever really be referenced again. I don't think that we'll get like a Joker issue. You know a. a a few months down the line that will say, oh, yeah, do you remember that time when I met you the first time and you pushed me in the vat of acid? I don't think we'll ever see that sort of thing. So I think it's kind of up to interpretation, which kind of is a good thing, but has also, I think, been a problem with Snyder in the past in that he never commits to anything, and it's always extremely vague. It's like, oh, yeah, Thomas Wayne is my half-brother. But he's also could not be, and it, did it really all well happen, or is it real, or did Joker really get into my back cave, or is it all a lie? So, yeah. I think Scott Snyder, he yeah, he, he rarely kind of commits to anything, but I'm not sure if that's him or editorial, or if it, he just likes leaving up to interpretation. But on this uh, particular issue, I enjoyed that fact.
1: I'm just waiting for the Scott Snyder story that has a top spinning, and then the 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 book ends, and we don't know if it stops spinning or not. All right. So the next comments we have come on episode 126. The first one comes from Chris Carnes. He says, "Hi gang, thanks for another fine show." For what it's worth, a comment curiosity, comment slash curiosity slash obscurity regarding Nightwing Annual number one. Back in the Silver Age, there was another villain calling himself Firefly, who was really Ted Carson. Back in Batman number 126, the story was reprinted in Batman number 208. In the story, he wore a garish green and yellow horizontal striped costume who could temporarily blind people with a light beam attached to his head that sort of looked like like a doctor's head mirror. Adding to the plot reflective of the times, Batwoman also appears in the story and momentarily mistakenly thinks Carson is really Batman, not the Firefly. I'm not sure where Nightwing Annual No. 1 leaves Firefly in the current continuity, but I like it when a story gives a nod acknowledgement to the old stories. Well, Chris, I want to thank you very much. And then I also want to encourage you to write me at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net because I think you should be writing articles on our website. If you're able to pick up things like this, I'm sure that stuff like this is happening. Well, I know, I know stuff like this is happening in all of the other books. And, uh, I think that somebody should be telling, you know, enlightening some of the newer readers. As to some of these throwbacks to some of the older issues. It would be really cool uh, to, to see an article series like that. So I encourage you to uh join the fight and join TBU. Uh, speaking of which, if you head to uh, our website, there is a big there's a little banner at the top of the page now that says join TBU staff. Uh first off, I want to thank Mr. Joe Jinx, our uh our co-host, uh, for creating that Batman that you see there. And uh, next off, I want to encourage everyone that if you are interested in becoming staff, including reviewing some of the books here, you may have heard that we actually had people review all of these books but Batgirl. Coincidence? I think. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, there are still other books, specifically books that come out in the third and fourth weeks of the month, and, as well as books that come out on the Point .5 cast, um, that we are still looking for people to review. So if you're interested... Email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net uh, if you're interested in reviewing or doing a article series, or if you're interested in helping out the Batman universe. If you actually click on that banner, it'll actually give you a list of all of the different types of people we are looking for. It's not just reviewers, we're broadening our horizons and looking for all kinds of people. So, um, just want to throw that out there now so I don't forget it, and then we're going to move straight into the next comment, which happens to come from a former well, not a former staff, but a former co-host, uh, Donovan Grant, who <laughs> says, Betrayal! Personally, I thought the Nightwing annual was lame, in that nothing interesting happened, and the whole Dick's Babs romance was barely touched upon. Plus, Babs was written to be fairly unlikable, again, alas, to each his and her own. Well Don, We fired, know why you it? left the books. Yeah. We know why you left the podcast, because you clearly are not liking these books, um, but
2: wow! Uh, yeah. Bashing John, you're bashing me, you're bashing Don. It's like everyone is on your hit list tonight, Dustin. Hey, listeners,
1: it's because we're almost we're we're, we're past two hours. That's I'm sorry, why.
2: listeners. If you want to hear a full review of Donovan on Nightwing Annual, you can hop over to Backroll to Oracle, episode seventy.
1: And, th- and there you go. Don left here to complain about the books <laughs> on a different podcast. All right. The last email, the last, uh, the last comment we have comes on through email, and it is from Mary. She says, Hi guys, I've been on vacation to a place that had no Wi-Fi, and I've just caught up on my podcast, so I'm sorry if this comment is a bit late. After reading the closing scene with Tony Zuko, I seem to have a different take than all of you about what happened there. To me, the lawyer that was sent to represent Zuko was a mob lawyer who wants to bring him back into the fold. After all, Zuko probably still has the goods on some of his old associates. After reading the letter, Tony attacked the lawyer and demanded, what have you done to them? The letter and divorce papers found by the police explained to the authorities why they can't locate Zuko's family. I think Zuko knows they are being kept somewhere and will be safe as long as he joins them. To me, it will be interesting to see if Zuko reaches out to Nightwing to get help in finding his family. Also, what do you think dick should do for a job once he's moved into chicago he's going to need one unless batman inc has some generous severance package what what do you think about him becoming a police officer i know he did that years ago but to me it makes more sense now since he needs to have a career in order to survive also it would not be unusual for a young man whose family has been a victim of a crime to go that route it would also have him working with the guy that who has been killing off all of the heroes, which could be an interesting storyline. Once again, thanks for an interesting and thought-provoking podcast, Mary. Well, Mary, thank you again for your uh, your thoughtful emails. Um, you got you raise a, a bunch of really interesting points. Well, I didn't actually, you know, I'll I'll be the first to admit I didn't see that Tony Zuko scene the way you did, but that's not to say the, after I read it the way you did, I went back and actually read the that that scene again in Nightwing number 24 and I can actually see how you could take it that way and actually is it's entirely possible that that's that's the case too so I think that that is an interesting take um, I'm not going to say that that's the wrong way and mine's the right way or mine's the, the wrong way and yours is the right way because at this point we don't know but I think that it does raise a completely different view and I in most cases really like different views I was waiting for a insert snarky comment from Stella. Oh.
2: um.
0: She's given up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I she's, have, yeah, she's you've
2: been attacking me all night.
1: And then your uh, second comment about what what kind of job should he do uh, from Chicago. Well, we know for a fact that Batman, uh, Batman Incorporated does not have a generous severance package, especially when they leave on bad terms as if Dick didn't leave on any worse terms. He basically just picked up and said, uh, see you later. I'm out of Gotham for good and moves to Chicago. Um, even if it was just to move there temporarily to take out Zuko and then to come back only to decide, Hey, Barbara, I just need you to help me pack everything up because I am now officially moving to Chicago. Um, so, um, you know, what, what could he do for a job? Well, police officer is probably the, the, the most obvious choice, um, because he was a police officer when he was in Bloodhaven before. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I honestly, the way the, the, specifically the way DC's working right now. I'm not saying this is anything to do with Kyle Higgins, but specifically the way DC's working where they want to stay as, as far away from specific th- things that happened in the past. Um, the fact that they refused to mention Bloodhaven, even though for whatever reason Bloodhaven was, was, uh, made, had a mention on the TV show Arrow. Doesn't make any sense why they won't reference Bloodhaven in the new 52. I don't get it. Um, but they just don't want to reference Bloodhaven. The fact that he was a Bloodhaven police officer means they probably don't want him to be a police officer either. So I have to wonder that if he's going to become anything, it's probably, honestly, I can't even think of what he will become, but I know it's not going to be a police officer. As much as it would make the most sense, especially, and, and it would make a really good storyline if he ended up having to work with that police officer who's murdering people. The only problem is if he came onto the police force, there would be a couple of different things. One, he'd have to go through the police academy. That's going to probably put a damper on him. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry.
0: Yes,
1: that's right. Yes, that's right. Police academy. And uh, that's probably going to put a damper on him actually trying to be Nightwing uh, if he's in a police academy. And on top of that, if he gets out of the police academy, he's going to be a rookie rookie street cop. He's not going to be linked up with the detective who's been the one who's been killing people. So that's probably not necessarily going to work, even though that would make a really good storyline. Um, I could see him doing something on the lines of the newspaper route, since Michael's involved with the newspaper. Um, he's never really been shown at least in the new 52 to be any kind of tech savvy person. So I doubt we'll see that route. You know, I don't think he's going to go work for a major corporation because Unless Wayne Enterprises has some branch that's, you know, based in, uh, based in Chicago, I don't see him working for any kind of corporation. You can't go work for, uh, Zuko's daughter's bank, even if she does like him because he can't manage money whatsoever since all the money that he's ever had, he's lost in flames. So. I mean, there's not, I mean, there's not a whole lot of jobs. I mean, who's, what, what, what work experience does he have other than just having like, you know, fake jobs, you know, that are titles only and then being an acrobat. I mean, I guess he could maybe start a, a street show.
0: Yeah. Um, my first thought was a pizza delivery guy, but, um, that's been done in another thing that we shall not mention. Um, I'm sure Stella will, um, Then uh I don't know if Brett Ruth starts drawing again, he could maybe be a model. That might work. Uh as for the yeah, I don't think um Cop would necessarily work because of, you know, how the process that he'd have to go through. So maybe he'd start off instead of going through the academy, he'd start off small, become like a lollipop man or something. Um (laughs) or use his acrobat skills and start like a dance class.
2: Is Joe not getting trolled for the comments that he makes? This is this.
1: Oh, because I got a good one. I got one that, that's <sighs> going to top everybody. That's probably even it's it's much more like like <laughs> down
2: Okay. Well, I've already. I think I've expressed on several occasions just how I like the beat cop scene. I expressed how I really liked the Detective Comics issue this month uh, because we got to see up close and personal GCPD and, and without the interference really of Batman, he was just there swinging and, and rescuing Jim. And I think some of the best issues that happened in the uh, Chuck Dixon run, if he was still writing, I think he was still writing at that time, was when Dick was actually a cop and he was doing it both sides. And I think that's how you really understand your city and you're, you're doing both sides to help as, as well as you can. But that also goes with fatigue, and I feel like there's a lot of stories that he can, um, or that we can get to, just seeing what is it like to be a cop during the day, and then you're working uh, as a mask at night, and and how are his friends going to be involved in that, because we've seen that, is his name Michael, he's sort of involved with the cop, and we know that that cop is not necessarily the best guy, seems like he may be taking down some mass, So I think there's some also awesome story potential there. And, you know, someone brought up the, the fact about the cave and just that every, it's a bad situation. Of course, he left Chicago. And one question I really want answered is just, you know, how long is this feud or this schism going to be between the Bat family? And if we flash forward five years and everyone is still on the outs and it's even worse, I would be really upset.
1: Well, on a completely side-related note, I would hope that they resolve – everything that they're doing before this Batman Eternal, since they're supposed to be involving all these other characters back into the fold for this Batman Eternal miniseries or the series, however long it's going to run the weekly series. But the, the last suggestion that I have of what Nightwing could possibly become is if you remember when Nightwing was, uh, the, the first time he comes to Chicago, we are seeing all of these very specific scenes of Chicago. We saw there was a there was a whole issue or at least a page count issue of Nightwing in the Museum of Science and Industry. So what if Nightwing becomes one of those books like another company has where he breaks the fourth wall and becomes a travel guide for Chicago to the reader and purchaser of a comic book. That would be amazing. The, that would be the only other thing and specifically that has a lot to do with Kyle Higgins being from Chicago and incorporating a lot of the elements of Chicago, but there's a lot of things in Chicago that Nightwing could tell us the readers about in every single issue. So, I'm not and he could make some good money because every time somebody buys an issue, he's making about three bucks. So,
2: yeah, right. and at night he could uh, be Magic Mike.
0: <laughs> you can call him Nightwing. All right, so that. <laughs> All right.
1: So with that, that is everything for this episode. I'll remind everybody that uh, we have not only. Uh, news related to the comics but also movie tv merchandise video games and all other news related to batman over on the website tons of news there's stuff literally stuff every single day that's being released over on the website so i suggest you check that out also be sure to check out all of our other podcasts Um, as you're listening to this there is a new episode of tbu collected featuring back row year one there's also a new episode of Backroll to Oracle. There is a new episode of uh, Taking Flight, which is uh, returning for uh, what we are calling Season 2. And there is also a new episode of the normal cast, which you may not have heard because it released on the same day as this one. So lots of different things have released. There's also the Point .5 cast if you haven't heard that. Um, we also encourage you to leave comments for the Point .5 cast um, because it seems as if the listeners could care less about the the books oh. just as much as we do sometimes. So with that, uh check out all of our other podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. Be sure to join our Facebook group to check out or to chat with other Bat fans related to all things Batman. Also leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated for not only this podcast, but also all of our other podcasts that we have to offer as well. Also, you can email us at podcast at and as I've mentioned multiple times in the past and I will continue to mention multiple times in the future, you can leave your comments for this podcast in the comment section below the episode and we will get to those questions, comments, concerns, or angry emails from previous co-hosts in the next episode. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Joe.
2: It's too much, it's too much. This is not Josh Bertoni. it's actually Stella.
1: And you've been listening to the Batman yours comic podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.
2: Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if, you know, I missed all of the, the salutations. So is the highlight.
1: You already missed it.
2: No! <coughs> That's just a problem.
0: Someone's got a lot of feedback.
2: It's not me because I can hear it too. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, what kind of feedback?
2: It's like, an air. yeah, noise, I guess you would say.
0: Uh, I'll see. I'll... Hold on a minute. I'll see what I can do. Uh, I've got to take the clock out. That might help for us to start with. Uh, I'll be back in a couple of minutes.
1: Did he say take the clock out?
2: I wasn't sure. Maybe that's another word for dog. <laughs> I don't
1: know. I, yeah, i never heard that one before.
2: Maybe he didn't say clock, but that other word, that would be clock minus the L, and it's like some form of going to the bathroom.
1: But I don't know why that would be creating noise.
2: <laughs> no, I think that was He was He's just saying
0: is creating noise
2: <laughs> I think he was explaining Why he was going to be gone For a few minutes I don't know You can ask him When he gets back, I guess
0: Hello
1: There you go Yeah Now, what exactly Did you say you had to take out?
0: The clock The clock Yeah how did- clock What do you think I said?
1: I thought you said clock I'm trying to figure out
0: How that makes noise it- Tick-tock, tick tock. You know if
1: that's what was making the noise, that's that's nuts.
0: Well, I fiddled with some other stuff, but um I, I noticed before that after a while with that on, you guys start going, What is that noise? So uh it's a pretty loud clock.
2: Okay.
1: Okay.
0: Are we not talking about Joker's daughter number one? Are you saving that for the point five? Okay. There's a lowest lane number one. Oh yeah, okay. A, yeah, uh, yeah, I
1: did hear about that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, that may 25. actually be
2: good, but not the other one.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure. I think one of them is just a one shot. One of them is unclear. I think the I think it's Joker's daughter is like a. Is it due to the like unsuspected popularity of this character.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: good it's gracious! Not, it's not unsuspected. It's because <coughs> that issue of Catwoman sold out. Mhm. Which that's probably the first time since the first issue. And every, everybody bought every first issue that Catwoman sold out. And then that uh, Stupid Villains Month issue, because it's a Villains Month issue, also sold out. They were like, oh, we got money on our hands.
0: <laughs> felt like I lisped that whole review.
1: Kind of sounded like it, but no worries.
2: Oh my
0: gosh. Apologies, I'm very tired. The other relationship between brothers and sisters is the ones who are about a year apart, but really good friends, and then the brother gets into comics at about 15, and the sister gets embarrassed and wants nothing to do with him anymore.
2: I'm afraid we didn't. Joe,
1: I'm sorry, this is not a talk show. We're not here to vent your personal problems. Oh,
0: okay.
2: (laughs) So says Oprah.
0: (coughs) Excuse me? (laughs) This is is Bun, the Batman Universe Network the end.
2: Do you call them a typical emo couple? Yes. What, what do. does that mean?
1: I don't know. Every time I, they show them, they're always standing in the same pose. Oh, they've got okay. their jackets <laughs> on, they've got their hands in their pockets. They're looking <laughs> Maybe that's there. more they're of a hipster. Oh, okay. They look like, like every time they, you sh- they show them, they just look like they're completely depressed. They're just like, I hate life. <laughs> I'm emo. Anyway,
2: I answer the question? Um, I answered the question, right? I don't think that had
1: anything to do with the question. It
2: didn't? <laughs> what do you mean? You said, how did I like the issue? The question
1: issue? was, no, the, it wasn't that. The, the question was, how did you like how this tied into the zero-year crossover oh, yeah. compared to all of the other titles? I
2: think I did answer that question. I like. Yeah, yeah. you
1: might have answered that question, but then you answered 15 <laughs> other questions that I didn't ask yet. <laughs>
2: Sorry. Remember
1: that the next time you review a book. No. Right.
2: I think Jill wanted okay. to say something.
1: Go ahead, Jill.
0: Well, sure. It might save us from this. This might relate to. Like another question you have, so I'll save it till we, uh. My only other
1: question I have has to do with Amigdala. Oh,
0: that's right. Oh, see, um,
2: oh, you need to apologize to me, sir. I did not go. No,
1: no, 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 no. My only other question has to do with Amigdala because I just have to scrape all of my other questions because you don't have the answer.
2: <laughs> no, just ask them. Yes, inception. Yeah. <laughs> From the Latin word incipio, which means to begin or undertake. No. So,
1: you take such a good
2: comment oh my gosh
1: and then my and you guy, just like you amazing. just like shoot it with steroids to like <laughs> make, make it even it
2: more awesome hulking
1: and no no <laughs> to mean? make it hulking and disgusting. <laughs>
2: this is like yeah rag on stella episode my word you know i have no comments on this so there you go
1: <laughs> no comments we could have left it on my awesome comment, and instead... Sorry. I
2: just... W- I wanted to broaden people's horizons.
0: I'm going to have a police academy marathon, I think.
1: I thought you said you
2: retired.
0: Uh, well, not now. I mean... <laughs> <I'm-> oh, okay. I want to be wide awake for this, don't you worry. I'm get okay. a good night's sleep. Then, tomorrow, after university, I'm going to come home and just watch all of them back to back, and and wonder why afterwards
1: have a nice day